Hi, welcome to More Life, the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry, reform, and advocacy. I'm your host, Vinkidia Garner. Thank you for tuning in today. So on today's episode, we have another advocacy and activism segment. Um, and this is something we introduced a couple of weeks ago, if you guys don't remember. But just to rejog your memory and tell you what this uh, specific collection is, is This collection highlights individuals or organizations that are working towards supporting returning citizens, individuals who are coming out of prison or incarceration and trying to transition back into their communities. And it really focuses on the organization and what what efforts they are putting on to uh, support these individuals and the development of their organization and how people can get involved in supporting them or just becoming involved in general. So with me today is Ms. Sheba Williams. She is from Richmond, Virginia. Um, just a couple of things about Ms. Williams to give you guys some context or just to get to know her a little better. She has um, a couple of degrees um, and one, a bachelor's degree in business management. She also has some professional licenses in cosmetology and barbering and her master's instructor's license. So um, just a little bit more information of in 2012, she exclusively was working as a mobile barber stylist. So traveling to clients anywhere from DC to North Carolina area. Um, And along this journey, while she was kind of working in this area, she realized that one thing that she was, when she was working with these individuals, one thing she had in common with them was this felony conviction. And from this, she was able to develop an organization called No Left Turns in 2016. And this organization has been around to support individuals uh, involved in the incarceration system or in the justice system. You know, and it's become a day-to-day fight for removing the policies and stigmas around having a conviction. So I really want to thank Ms. Williams for being on our show today, um, to be on here to share about her organization and give us ways on how we can become more involved in supporting not just her organization, but the individuals that are going through this process. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's always a pleasure. So I guess to get right into our conversation, Ms. Williams, um, let's talk about like what inspired, uh, I guess like let's talk about No Left Turns or what inspired this, like the establishment of this organization or the development of this organization. So both of my parents were incarcerated when I was 10 years old. Um, my sister was wrongfully convicted of an offense. Um, about 20 years ago, she was ultimately acquitted and went through the expungement process. Uh, My husband was incarcerated at the age of 15 and tried as an adult and sentenced to 74 years. Uh, He did some appeals when he got inside and learned the law and he was released after 10 years. Um, He was violated after a year and a half of being out. I met him in 2002 and he was arrested again for a violation and ended up doing eight and a half more years. So by the time he was 36, he had done more time in prison as an adult than outside. Um, In 2004, I was wrongfully convicted of a crime of embezzlement and have been living with a felony conviction for the past 16 years. So in 2012, my grandfather was diagnosed with stomach and lung cancer. My mom was his primary caregiver. We were living down in Norfolk. I had moved back to Norfolk to go back to school with my three kids under the age of five. Um, But I wanted to come back and and 
support my mom because caregiving is a lot. Uh, Antoine was released when we moved back here. We had put in over a thousand job applications between the two of us and did not receive one single call back. Um, everybody that we ultimately did speak to said that they couldn't do anything because we both had these felony convictions. So I was angry. And I really fought against starting a nonprofit organization because of the nonprofit industrial complex. Like it is a very real thing. There are stigmas inside of the nonprofit world. Sometimes more harm is caused than good. So I really, really struggled with whether or not this is the path that I wanted to go down. Um, but rejection after rejection, and that that is in housing, that is in education, that is in employment, that is in healthcare, that is in being able to chaperone your kids on field trips, um, we had to do something. And that's how No Left Turns was really started. Um, 2016 happened in our state in Virginia, our then governor Terry McCullough wanted to reinstate the rights of 231,000 Virginians who had past convictions. And it it was challenged. Um, it went to the Supreme Court and those 231,000 people's rights were rescinded. So we start knocking on doors and we're vowing to get as many people's rights reinstated, civil rights reinstated as possible. That's how we got started in the civic work of it. Um, and that is a very short version of this long journey from 2016 to now. Okay, so... Okay, okay. So like you said, that is a very long journey and there's quite an amount of history that's built up in the development of this organization. And so for the last, oh, I'm not good at math, but the last couple of years, uh, since 2016, um, what, I guess like, what has been going on as far as the organization of, you know, what is, what, I guess, start, let's start with what is your mission um, with this organization? So our mission is to um, support and advocate alongside individuals who have passed felony convictions throughout the state. The reason why we want to advocate alongside them is because nobody can determine what is the best means to survive better than people who are going through the process. Um, we do direct services, and that's really how we got started. But about four years ago, um, we knew that we had to get involved in advocacy because we were, most of our funding came from small dollar donations in the community. We did not apply for our first grant until about 2019, maybe 2020. Um, but we wanted to be good stewards of the money. And we felt like we were spending money on good things. And we were doing great things to support individuals who had felony convictions but we are spinning our wheels with providing temporary housing and temporary employment. And if we did not change the policies that were in place that create all of these barriers that come after the conviction, and what I'm talking about is collateral consequences, then we would be wasting money all the time. So we got involved in advocacy about four years ago, and we've been able to get some laws passed. In 2021, we got the first ever expungement bill passed for um, people with convictions, because prior to 2021, only people who had non-convictions were eligible to um, 
seek relief from the courts for something that they were found to be not guilty of. They had to go through a process of being fingerprinted again and paying about $98 per charge to request that a thing that they proved their innocence on be removed from their record. And we thought that was insane. So the Virginia Expungement Council was created. Um, we are a team of directly impacted individuals from across the state who met over Zoom for about a year and a half. And we fought for this, this expungement bill to be passed and it, it was passed. It hasn't been implemented yet because Virginia is super behind on their technology piece, but um, it will hopefully be implemented in 2025 or earlier um, if things go the right way. Um, but that was a huge success. We do a lot of advocacy specifically around carceral systems and breaking down those barriers. Well, first I wanna say congratulations on the passing of that, um, cause that sounds absolutely amazing. Um, I'm, I already know with technology stuff, like it can be really slow to implement those kind of laws, but you know, I'm hoping they can get a push on that. Um, one of the things that I really like that you were talking about is like, it's not really just enough to just give people housing and to like give people a job or to do all these different things. Cause like eventually what it comes down to is like you said, we are kind of wasting money. If we, we have to get into these policies and uh, kind of eliminating this stigma and stuff. And I was just wondering if you could just expand a little bit more on the importance of advocacy in general, like whether you're uh, advocating in an organization, but as a community, why it's important for us to be doing this advocacy. So a really big thing that I want people to understand is most change happens with one person. One person being concerned enough to say, we need to change a thing. Even uh, the creation of nonprofit organizations or businesses start with an idea that some, something needs to be changed. So there is power in every person's voice. Voting is the fundamental center of all advocacy, but you can't just stop at the ballot box. You have to engage with legislators. You have to be the person who is willing sometimes to say, this legislator is not doing the job and fighting for me. Maybe I need to run against them. Um, but there is power in community. We saw a lot in 2020, especially, people were taking back their power. They were tired of all of the decisions being made by people who had never experienced the things that they were experiencing. And that's not just with criminal legal system stuff. That is with housing. That is with health care. That is with reproductive rights. That is with LGBTQA plus rights. That is with disability rights. That is with all the things that happen in the community, even down to getting a pothole field in your community takes you having to having the knowledge to know who to speak to. Because uh, we, we always talk about the presidency and we always talk about the governorship. But what about city council and the school board and the people who create these huge budgets for how our kids learn, how our kids are fed, who gets the support in the community, where those dollars go to? Because a lot of decisions are, are being made with nobody being present, but people who are outside of our communities. So the empowerment of people was really important, right? Even down to like um, 
getting street lights, <laughs> like getting street lights or like getting stop signs in communities where we were seeing a lot of um, accidents or people being hit by cars. So all of those things start with one person saying something needs to be changed. Getting together collectively is where the goals start to meet the rubber. Like we really um, believe in allowing people who are directly impacted to lead in the fight. Um, I get called on a lot because I know this stuff inside and out, but I don't wanna be the only person sharing my experience or fighting. I don't want to be the only person who is called on to like do interviews and reports. So we work really hard to empower people to fight for themselves to speak for themselves, to elevate their own messages, because for decades, it's been people with money who, who do reports behind closed doors and boast their degrees. But lived experience is just as powerful as any degree. Yes, I, I definitely agree with you on that, of like lived experience. And um, I don't know if you've ever, you. I, I will let you know that like I don't have any direct experience like with the uh, criminal justice system, but I have heard like in just other people's experiences like the impact and that is a lot more people need to hear those things and understand how one not only it just impacts the entire community and it's our job just as a community to if we want these things of public safety, if we want these things of restoration and all these other different things that we want of fulfillment in our communities, we have to start doing these things. We have to start being proactive. And I think it's more than like, like you just said, it's more than just voting. It's really getting out there and being engaged and um, being that person that is just, you know, willing to take that sacrifice or willing to put themselves out there to do those things. So I do appreciate that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. So I guess uh, thinking back to your organization um, and the things that you guys do and your mission, um, what are some, um, I guess, like programs and services that you that you offer? So reentry is our biggest program. It is a six to 18 month program. Obviously, with COVID, we, we had to shy away from traditional programming. We had to make sure that people were OK on the baseline, right? We had to make sure that their foundations were strong. So we have been doing um, all types of support, things like making sure that people have um, rent support and eviction support. Because if you think about housing, if you have a conviction and you couple that with an eviction, you will probably never get housing again. And that doesn't just impact one person, that impacts the community that's around you, that impacts the kids who are in the household, that impacts the people who pay into social services programs. So we wanted to make sure that people could stay in place. We were providing things like medication. Um, we do a lot of COVID support, but re-entry, um, it, it's time to get back on track with our um, intensive support of people. We do some pre-entry support. Pre-trial uh, pre support, sorry. We do some pre-trial support. We do help with some clemency and pardon packages. Um, we do a harm reduction program. Uh, all of our team are um, trained to teach people how to use Narcan and we distribute Narcan. We have a partnership with our Virginia Department of Health where we can distribute Narcan. So typically when people are released from incarceration, we make sure that they have that, that tool because this, this opioid crisis 
is insane. Um, so that's something that we really believe in. But we also have COVID tests. We have uh, COVID information. We still have masks and gloves because um, our numbers are climbing again. Uh, we also do an advocacy training program that puts directly impacted people in charge of their own fight. Instead of being um, exploited by some larger organizations or used to share their story, they're able to um, build out their story and learn media training and, and know how to deal with media and how to advocate, how to actually get in front of a legislator and talk about what they need and what they want and do it in a respectful manner. Like we are really big on language. We don't use words that are offensive to people. Um, you know, people are not one dimensional. So a person who has a past conviction um, can also be a mother, a father, a teacher, you know, um, they, they have, different things. So why are we always pointing to their past? Why are we always pointing to their conviction? So we're really big on language and making sure that people um, respect others in the space. So, um, you know, those are, those are our programs. <laughs> those are the things they're all centered on breaking down the barriers that come behind an arrest, not just a conviction. Right, and I, uh, it seems like your organization has a really big emphasis on, um, like you said, directly impacted individuals. Um, so are there other community members that are involved that are not directly impacted? Absolutely. I mean, we, we can't. We can't make all of these changes without people who are not directly impacted. And I say that because um, there are people who have never have had the privilege of never dealing with these systems whose hearts have to change first because leaning on, on our second chance employment partners or leaning on our second chance housing partners is something that, that really helps move the needle. People who don't have past convictions can sometimes go into spaces that we cannot. Um, the faith community, a lot of times are good partners for us because we always hear about redemption. We always hear about forgiveness, but you know, sometimes people don't listen if they know that there's a conviction there, right? So um, we absolutely lean on our other partners and we are um, very accepting to people who have never experienced these systems. Like, you know, who else makes the changes? Um, we don't just shut it down because a person isn't directly impacted because there are kids who have parents who've been incarcerated. There are mothers and there are loved ones who have people who are incarcerated who are just as deep in this fight as we are. Yeah, that's that's very true because a lot of people, and I think that just goes to the uh, what we were saying earlier, like this is not just in having a conviction or even just being involved in the criminal justice system it doesn't just impact the individual. It impacts all the people around them, their families that are involved, the communities that they are residing in. Um, so it is important for us to, important to lean on these individuals that are not directly impacted because they do have, you know, 
they can be in those places, like you said, where some individuals are not able to exist. Um, and I think I think that's just very important. I like I really like what your organization is doing and how they're supporting the uh, directly impacted, but also collaborating with the other individuals outside in the community. Um, and so I'm wondering, what kind of upcoming events do y'all have going on, whether they're community events or just um, in, events for individuals directly impacted in your area? So August 25th, um, District 1, which is Richmond here, will be having a, a community-wide resource fair for people who are being released. Uh, the, the significance is um, we were able to get a bill passed back in 2020 called the Expanded Earned Sentence Credit, which meant that about 4,500 people would be eligible for early release between July 1st and August 30th. Um, our new administration took that um, ability away from about a thousand people, but we still have about 3,500 people statewide who are being released in this two month period. Um, so Charlottesville has some events where they're doing um, resource fairs weekly or monthly, but August 25th, Richmond is doing their event. On September 27th, um, District 32, which is Henrico and Hanover, I am the chair of um, District 32's reentry council. We're doing a resource fair for individuals who are formerly incarcerated. Um, we always do restoration of rights and voter registration. We're in the process now of planning some rallies around um, voter registration and restoration rights, the importance of the balance and what that, that vote does for people. And we will be addressing a ton of other um, issues like second legislation, um, expanded expungement process, uh, the what happened with our voter registration bill because um, we were fighting for universal suffrage and got something completely different out of it, um, ending solitary confinement, uh, cannabis le legislation because there are still over 500 people still incarcerated for cannabis related offenses even though we legalized uh, July 1 of, this, of last year. Um, so we will be doing a few rallies across the state over the next couple of months to uplift these voices and talk about the significance of the right to vote. Um, that's all I got right now. <laughs> but I'm sure there will be a ton of events uh, as we're planning and getting closer to our next election. Virginia has an election every year, so there are always things. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think those are great. Like, those are all great events. And one of the things that I noticed that you talked about, and I was going to ask you, is there anything, uh, I know you, you listed a couple of them, but is there anything that your organization is really pushing for right now that needs to be changed or um, they're currently in the fight for right now, trying to get changed? So, Second look legislation is our big ones that addresses extreme sentencing in Virginia's history with um, over incarcerating, over policing, overcharging, over sentencing. Uh, universal suffrage, which is our right to vote coalition, will be addressing this. Um, the the legislative session last this year, sorry, um, killed the constitutional right to vote, but we will still be fighting for that. Um, expanded expungement is something that is near and dear to my heart, obviously. Um, we've been fighting for this over a decade, and a lot of people think that it just happened in 2021, but it really has been a decades-long fight. Um, barrier crimes, um, reducing some of the barrier crimes. Virginia has 
probably the longest list of barrier crimes I've ever seen. And the significance of that is we have peer recovery specialists who come out and can support people who are going through the things that they have already gone through, but they cannot be licensed. Um, addressing professional licensing and the, the conviction that prevents people from being professionally licensed is something that is really close to my heart because I lost my barber's license for 16 months because there is a 20-year look back on a Department of Professional Occupational Regulation application. They did not care that I give to my community. They did not care that I had been a licensed barber since 2009 and I had a, a crime that was 16 years old. All they focused on was the actual crime and they took my license for 16 months. Um, I have it back now, obviously, but why? <laughs> why is it beneficial to take away my ability to earn income and provide for my children and my family and my household? So um, we'll be addressing professional licensing, but those are like our, our big things right now. Yeah, and those those are all really big things. Um, and I think that just goes back to what you were talking about earlier, of just like collateral consequences. Um, you you have this conviction or you have this history and we're gonna take everything from you, almost, at least, well, I'm just gonna say everything from you. Um, that is literally a means for you to support yourself. Um, I, I don't know how many people I know that actually, and I think it's actually kind of, contradictory to have people I know people that have been incarcerated and they're incarcerated learning how to cut hair and then they come out and they're not able to get a license or to pursue that any further for them to be able to you know have sustained employment or things like that um so I, I think those are all really uh, big issues and concerns that need to be addressed. Um, and I'm glad your organization is out there doing that. Um, one of the things I wanted to also ask is how can people become involved in your organization? So August, we will be doing some hiring for a housing navigator and um, a social media manager. Um, we try to hire directly impacted people because they get denied employment the, the most frequently, but obviously it'll depend on experience and things like that. Um, volunteer wise, we will be listing a ton of volunteer opportunities. We need second chance home bankers, which are people who call um, potential partners to introduce the organization and say, hey, we're looking for people who will hire right away, people who will house right away. Um, we know that there's like a, a 12 month to 20 year waiting periods for some housing opportunities and people can't typically wait that long. Um, same thing with employment. We wanna get people employed right away so that they can earn their own income and not necessarily have to depend on social services programs and different things like that. Um, obviously doing the research, policy research is really important. Um, we want to gather a media team so that people who have experience with different things can speak to the media, just kind of putting together a database and obviously like some administrative things. We're always looking for partners who um, do different trades to come in and teach classes. Uh, we just did, I, I know that you probably found us with the um, financial empowerment class that we partner with Capital One with, but we're always looking for partners to do, do different teaching things. Um, we will be doing a partnership with the Jackson Collection, who will be doing an entrepreneurship class for people. So 
um, individuals who have past experience with the criminal legal system, we encourage them to get the information to start their own businesses and potentially be hiring partners for others who've been through those systems. So um, that class starts in August as well. August is going to be a crazy busy month. Um, like I said, we're in the process of moving from one location to a new location now. So we'll be opening back up to um, people to come in to be able to do job search and interview skills and mock interviews and housing search and different things like that. Because we have been pretty much closed since COVID started back in March of 2016, um, 2016, 2020, y'all, not 2016. It might seem like 2016. <laughs> but yeah, we've been pretty much closed to the public for two years now, and we're um, trying to safely navigate opening back up um, so that people can have that resource center specifically for them. Well, it seems like there are uh, quite a few opportunities, uh, even for people, like you said, that are directly impacted, and maybe even some for individuals who are not. Uh, so you guys, I encourage y'all to reach out, um, any information to reach out for to know that turns will be at the bottom um, in the description box. But before we end, um, I want to ask you, is there anything else that you feel like that is um, noteworthy of this organization? My my always departing words are treat people like people. Do not judge a person based on one event in their lives. You could potentially be, be missing the opportunity for greatness. Um, we're always looking for second chance hiring partners. We're always looking for second chance housing partners. But at the end of the day, we need people to look at individuals for their whole selves and not just focus on this one event in their lives. That is my word. <laughs> that is what I got. Um, I know it seems like it's harder than uh, it is to be said, but it can be done. And we do rely on people to um, lead with dignity, lead with respect, and have justice in mind because we care about public safety just as much as the, the next person. We are individuals who are part of public and we deserve the same safety. I think that is a great message for like the audience and like to end on because that is so important uh, to just realize that people are people and in honesty, we easily could have been a person impacted by the justice system. Um, and you never know what your circumstances or what your fate may be. So just treat people like people. So I do appreciate that. And uh, Ms. Williams, I really want to thank you for coming on and talking about your organization, talking about No Left Turns and everything that you guys are doing over there. Like I commend you for the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, I wish the organization well on all of everything that it's fighting for. Um, so, yes, I really do appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, ma'am. And as always, audience, um, if you are interested in learning more about the organization, all of their social media platforms will be listed in the bottom in the description box. And even more, if you enjoyed this episode, please push the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at More Life The Reentry Podcast. Thank you, and y'all have a great day. Bye.